Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we are week 5 in a series called Relationship Restart. Relationship Restart. And, and I, if you haven't been with us a couple of weeks ago when we started this, I want to just frame uh, kind of why we're doing this series. We're teaching through Colossians uh, expositionally. And man, don't we live in a tech-driven society? Listen, has everybody got their device on mute right now? Okay, so man, all of us are, are just, you know, servant to this thing. Uh, this is our main means of communication for many of us, our mobile device, our, our, our tech. Uh, we do everything through this. Actually, it, it has become instrumental in our relationships, quite honestly. Uh, this is how we communicate. We text, we, we email, we FaceTime, uh, you know, uh, we, we do all these different things, Messenger, WhatsApp. We stay connected with people through these devices, and it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing just where we are culturally and in, in, in our, our, our last days of Christianity, so to speak. You know, the sad thing about these things are is that occasionally they develop a glitch. You know, they don't run the way that they were intended to run, and, and if you've ever uh, experienced tech issues, especially with your communication device, it's frustrating. And, uh, and they say, the experts say, whoever they are, right, it's always they, but they say that the number one way to fix a glitch with your device is to just restart the device. And, uh, you know, my wife, uh, you know, we, we talk about technology a little bit, and her phone maybe doesn't work properly. And, and usually the first question I ask is, when's the last time you restarted your, your phone? And I don't know. I don't know when I restarted it last time. Okay, so let's start there. And, and generally speaking, that, that clears the issue. And what happens when you restart the device is it clears the memory, it clears the RAM, and it reruns the source code. And it, and it runs the code that was intended to run the operating system, and, and then it generally boot back up. And unless you got a virus or, or you got some crazy app installed that's, that's causing problems, generally speaking, well, your device, it, it starts working again. All it takes is just a restart. And, and what's interesting is, and, and we kind of just use that as a launch point, many times in our personal relationships, as, as we go along in our life, as, as we go along in our marriages, as we go along in our families, you know, there's glitches that develop. Relationships aren't operating really the way maybe God intended, and, and we've moved away maybe from what God's Word says. And, and, and the reality is we will try anything and everything to get that thing to operate properly and what we really need is just a restart. We just need a restart. We need God's word to be re, rerun in our hearts and minds. And, and as we begin to operate in those principles and in those truths, well, all of a sudden, our relationships just line back up with what God intended. Our marriages, our, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our employers. And so that's kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks in Colossians. We, we've been in Colossians chapter 3. And we, we kind of just hit the last part of that passage right into Colossians chapter 4, talking about different relationships. And we started with the wives, wives being submissive to their own husbands. And, you know, I, I joked last week, but it, it wasn't a joke. That was like our lowest attended service ever. And so, you know, I'm praying we bounce back from that. Everybody knew when you preach expositionally, people know where you're going to land. And so, you know, they study ahead and decide to skip church on the days they don't want to come. But whatever, okay, we'll let, you, we'll let you get away with that. You know, wives, submit to your own husbands, verse 18, as it's fit in the Lord. And we talked about that. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there's no respect of person. And then chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. And we said that these six relationships for us are, 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 are the relationships that we will, most of us will experience in this lifetime. Most of us will experience the, the relationship of, of wife and a husband and, and children and, and, and fathers. And if we work, we, we're going to have the relationship of being a servant and, and having uh, a master in the flesh, if you will. Those relationships are so important that, that the Holy Spirit of God impressed upon the Apostle Paul while he's in prison to, to address this topic to the Colossian believers. This is so important. And we talked about the significance of the book of Colossians you know, not only historically, but doctrinally, because in the book of Colossians, God mentions the church of the Laodiceans. And, and we've covered this in detail the last several weeks. And, and we know from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that there are seven churches that, that the apostle John writes to through the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And, and the, the last church that he writes to is the church of the Laodiceans. It's the seventh of seven churches that are addressed in the Bible and those seven churches were real historical churches, but they also give us an overview of the entire church age period ending in the Laodicean church age. And it is very interesting that the only other place in the Bible, the Word of God, where the, the church of Laodicea is mentioned is in the book of Colossians. It is the book. It is the epistle for last day's Christianity. And I'm just telling you that God in his sovereignty knew that what, what we needed in the last days right before the rapture of the church, we needed a restart in our relationships. We need a restart because, listen, the Lord is coming very, very soon, and he knows how jacked up even Christian homes and families and relationships are going to get. And so that's why God has given us this portion of Scripture. That's why we've been studying it the last several weeks. So this, this morning, as we continue through the progression, we've dealt with wives a couple of weeks ago, Husbands, we learn to, to lead and to love and to be not bitter. Last week, we talked about children and we talked about obeying our parents in all things because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to deal with the, the topic of servants. And we're going to deal with verses 25, or excuse me, verse 22 down to 25. And I, and I just want to remind us that each of those has a practical application for the Christian. Colossians was written to the saints and faithful brethren at Colossae. This, the intended audience is believers in Christ. This isn't just a moral standard that the world should operate by, but this is how Christians should allow the code of God's Word to operate in their hearts so that they have right relationships. And I just want to remind you of that. I also want to remind you not only practically, but positionally in Christ. Each of those relationships has something to do with our relationship with Christ. The bride of Christ is Christ's wife. We are a spouse to one husband. And as we learned about wives, we learned that the church of Jesus Christ is his bride, his wife, that, that will one day be wed to him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We learned from husbands that Christ is the one true husband. And, and even if we're not married, if we're saved, we have a husband and he is Christ. 
And, and we learn that, that as children, listen, we are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so not only is there a direct practical application in our home, but positionally in Christ, we are a part of the family of God, and we ought to obey our Heavenly Father. And so, and so today we're going to talk about servants, and listen, Christ himself is called a servant, Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself, he became a servant, it took upon the form of a servant, even was obedient to the point of death, and we know that from Philippians chapter 2. And I just want to remind you that each one of these not only practically applies in our homes, but positionally has something to do with our relationship with Christ. And so we can learn from that. And so uh, let me pray, and then we'll get going. How's that sound? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you again for the morning. Uh, Lord, as we, as we sing, I'm just reminded, uh, we can trust in you, and, and we don't have to be soon shaken in anything. And, and I hope that that really is our prayer and our thought and our stance Father, that you are our firm foundation, that your love for us and your word is our firm foundation, and that we are not shaken in these last days. We're not shaken in the midst of a, what is called a pandemic. We're not shaken with, with, with corruption. We're not shaken with persecution against the church. We're just not shaken. Lord, we're, we're faithful because we, we, we believe that you are the firm foundation. And so, Lord, give us what we need today. Father, apply these principles. Help us to reveal, reveal them to us so that we can apply them to our life and be found faithful in these last days. We love you. We give you the time. Lord, teach us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you got your notes this morning, we've got just three, three simple points we'll work through. Number one, I want to talk about the person of servanthood. We're going to deal with verses 22 to 25. We're going to talk about servants this morning, obeying your masters according to the flesh in all things, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. We're going to talk about this thing of servants this morning. And so I want, to, I want to just biblically define for us what a servant is biblically. And that is a broad topic in the Bible, honestly. We could, we could spend a lot of time studying this out and, and running through all the verses. Servant in the Bible sometimes covers day laborers. They're called servants in the Bible. Uh, again, in, in the context that we're going to apply it in our life, we're going to talk about our relationship to our employer or those that are in authority over us in the flesh. In the Bible, sometimes servant is a hired servant where they get paid for a job or paid for responsibility. In the Bible, sometimes they're bond servants where there's no financial remuneration. Uh, even in the Bible, servants have good masters and also have cruel masters. And, and so this is a broad topic. It, really what it is in the Bible is it's a subordinate Someone that's lower in rank or under the authority of another. And, and there's all kind of different technicalities that can work at, out in that. But, but basically, that's a general working definition. It's, it's someone who is under the authority or, or lower in rank or subordinate to someone else. Now again, Rome is in control during this early church period. And, and historians tell us that, that there were probably 50 to 60 million servants in the Roman Empire the reason for being a servant in the first century is not necessarily what we think it is, and we'll define what the Bible does not say servants are in just a second. But listen, Rome was in control, and so listen, some people would have been servants because they lost a war. They, they lost a battle, and, a, and a, a victorious country would have taken control. A servant could have been a thief who couldn't pay a, a debt that was due back. 
A servant could have been an abandoned child who became servant in a family, and that family would have actually received him and and even treated him as family, but he was considered a servant, many times uh, treated well and as the family. A servant would have been somebody who had a debt and put himself in servanthood to to pay off that debt. Anybody got bills in the house? (laughs) Anybody anybody got got payments? (laughs) And, and you put yourself in a position of servanthood to an employer or to a job to pay those debts so that you can be free from those debts or buy groceries, whatever you need. Sometimes people would become servants because, uh, or sell themselves maybe into servanthood because they were poor and they needed the financial resources available. You know, and, and, and so it's important to understand what the, the Bible defines it as broadly, but it's also important to understand what the Bible doesn't define it as. Because many times, skeptics of the Bible or people that attack the Word of God would say that, man, the Bible really is just a book about and, and promotes slavery. And we use that word, right, in our culture, slavery. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't use that. It does use that word on two instances, but, but slave is different than the word servant. It's different. And, and in other versions of the Bible, and again, I don't want to be critical, but I just want to be mindful that this verse in other modern translations, is actually translated as slaves. Holman Christian Standard Bible, New American Standard Bible, New Living Translation, NIV, among others. And it is interesting that God has some very strong things to say about what we would understand as slavery. In other words, stealing men and selling them and trading them as a commodity. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 16, the Bible says, And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, and if he be found in his hand, he shall be surely put to what? This is something that God has a very strong stance against. So much so that he says anyone that does this in the Old Testament economy is to be put to death. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 7 says this, If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die. And so God equates the person that steals people and and sells them, trades them as commodity. He says, number one, that person's a thief. And and you know who the real thief is in the Bible. It's the devil. And and so God automatically uses the same verbiage, the same description of, of a person that would do that. And then he says that that thief shall die. Thou shall put evil away from among you. God says it's evil. God never condoned this. He never allowed this. He never made provision for this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says this, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. And, and, and just listen to the description of these unholy and unreasonable characteristics in which God had to make a law to say these are wrong. God, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. And you say, man, that list is horrible. And then God just puts right in the, in the end of that list for men stealers. And the reason God puts that in there is because there is no way in God's word that he ever condones that behavior for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary, listen, to sound doctrine. And I just want to go on record to tell you, God says that slavery 
in the context that we would understand it, is contrary to sound doctrine. I don't care what historians tell us about the people that founded this country. Listen, that's fine, but I'm telling you what God's stance on that is. It is evil, it is thievery, it deserves death and punishment, and it is contrary to sound doctrine. It is absolutely contrary to sound doctrine. And so, and so it is important as we, as we talk about servants to understand what the Bible says it is, but we need to understand what the Bible says it's not. And we don't need to make the Bible say something that it doesn't. And again, leave it up to modern translations to make God condone something that he really does not, and we'll move forward. Listen, at the end of the day, we all practically will experience what it means to be a servant for the most part. We will be a hired servant. You will have a job. You, you will position yourself under the supervision or authority of another. Uh, you have debts to pay. You like to eat groceries and, and drink coffee, and those things cost money. And so we will all probably experience responsibility and being accountable and being subordinate to a master according to the flesh practically, but I also want to remind us that positionally, we had a debt that we could not pay. We had a debt that we could not pay, and it's the sin debt that we developed because of our sin nature. And listen, Jesus Christ paid our sin debt with his own precious blood. And the truth is, if we are believers in Christ, we are now indebted to him because he paid the debt that we could not pay. And so listen, if you are a believer in Christ, Paul understood this. Paul called himself a servant of Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. I am a servant because I position myself under his, his authority as his subordinate because he paid a debt I couldn't pay. And I received his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, and now I have become his servant. And so we're going to talk about the practical application of this in our daily lives as it relates to our employers, but, but understand overwhelmingly, positionally, we should all be the servants of Christ. If we're born again, man, positionally you are, and practically it needs to work out in our life. And that means that as a child of God, we ought to live different. We ought to have relationships that are different than the lost world. That's why God gives us this instruction in the book of Colossians. The child of God ought to have a different relationship in his marriage, a different relationship with his children, a different relationship on the job. Christians ought to be the most desirable and trustworthy and dependable employees in the world. Now, the question is, is that really true? And, and don't answer out loud. We don't know. Okay, but I don't know about you, but let's answer, you know, just personally. Listen, we ought to be able to, to, to be different because of the fact that we truly serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not different, I would dare to contend that maybe you don't really understand what it means to be saved. Because the gospel is not just informational, it's transformational. It's transformational. And if it doesn't change your life and your relationships, if there is no difference, well, you have to ask, did I really get, did I really get the goods the way God said? If nothing is different. And so, and so look, we, we, we talked about the person of servanthood. I want to transition into the meat of the message now, the performance of servanthood. And I want you to look back in your Bible to Philippians, oh, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. The Bible says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, 
not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So we're going to talk about what a servant really looks like biblically. And what's interesting is when God addresses this particular relationship right out of the chute, he gives you what's required of servants. As a matter of fact, he's given us what's required of each of those relationships, right? Wives submit, husbands love, children obey. Servants, here it is, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And so in your notes, look, servants are to obey in all things. And that's interesting because it's the same commandment that children were given last week, right? And we expect our children to obey in all things. Amen? Don't look. All things, baby. The Bible says so. You, <laughs> we, if we break out the Bible on those kids. And, but, but we have to be reminded as a servant under the subordination of another authority, under the authority of a boss or a manager or supervisor, that verse kind of eats at us a little bit because we expect others to obey in all things like our children. But God says we need to be obedient in all things according to our masters in the flesh. And so listen, this whole passage of relationship really just deals with God's order of authority and submission to it. That's all it deals with. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says this, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their their own masters and to please them well in all things. And how many things? All things, not answering again. And some of us might need to underline that part of the verse in our Bibles. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And again, the Spirit of God is not going to contradict Himself. God tells us again that we are as servants to be obedient to our own masters and to please them in all things. You say, man, I'm not even looking forward to going to work tomorrow. After this sermon. I know, man. Listen, I know. I was, I was telling Cody before, before, before service began. God used this passage in my life years ago as a young Christian in Decatur, Alabama, working a physical therapy job, growing in the Lord, man, thought I had some stuff figured out. And uh, the pastor preached this passage, and I realized I had a really bad attitude about my direct report, about my boss, my employer in physical therapy. And, uh, man, the, the longer the sermon went, the more uncomfortable I got. And I realized God was shining his, his conviction right into my life to, to make me realize that was an area that needed attention. I had a horrible attitude. I was a young Christian, a little zealous, thought I knew something. And, and, and the guy that I was working for, the company, actually went to the same church. And all of a sudden, man, I thought, well, I'm like way down the road, spiritually speaking, and this guy came to church, and he was a good guy, but I was like, man, I just don't see him doing all these other things. And then at work, it was just a conflict, and, and I answered again a lot, just because I'm like that. And I realized, you know what? My obedience and submission to him is not dependent on his spiritual maturity, and it's not dependent on his effective leadership. What it's dependent on is my submission to the Lord. <laughs> And God got all over me in that message, man. And I did not want to go to work on Monday morning, but I did because I needed groceries. And I went right to his office and I knocked on the door and I was like, can I have just a couple of minutes? And I went in and I said, Mr. Boss, I'm not going to give you his name. 
I've been a really bad employee. I've had a really bad attitude. I'm a believer in Christ. I'm trying to be a disciple of Jesus, and God has just smoked my heart over this issue, and I need you to, I need you to know that, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And if you need to fire me today, I understand. I'm fully anticipating me walking out today without a job, but I want you to know I apologize. I've repented, and God has dealt with that issue in my heart, and I'm, I'm sorry. And I just apologize. Fully expecting him to say, yeah, you're right. Get out. You know, your attitude is horrible. And he was very gracious. His words to me were, don't let, don't let it happen anymore. And I was looking for something a little more. <laughs> but that's all I needed. He said, don't let it happen. Because he knew. He knew. He knew all too well. The issue of my heart wasn't him. It wasn't the company. It wasn't his leadership. He knew the issue was me. And God used that in my life to help me realize, you know what? Really, this issue has nothing to do with the leadership structure, the organizational structure, the pay scale, the benefit package. It doesn't have anything to do with any of that. It has everything to do with me. And God has called us to be obedient to our masters according to the flesh, to please them in all things. And again, we want to make this contextual to our, to our employees and our, to, to our jobs. Not answering again. And God tells us in Titus that when we do that, we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We, we adorn ourselves. We, we, we put on this outward adorning that other people can see. Other people can see the doctrine of God and our Savior when we just obey. When we just obey. And so obedience is an adorning. And we also see that, listen, there's a parallel passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. When a wife trusts in God and submits herself to her husband, even when he's not the best husband. When she trusts in God and just is submissive in her heart. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 5 that... That these holy women who trust in God, they adorn themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. It's the same principle. Obedience is always an adorning. It's always an adorning. And it's rooted in who we are in Christ and our relationship with Christ. You know, it's easy to be obedient to a good boss. Has anybody ever had a good boss? I mean, they do exist, right? They do exist. And it's easy to say, man, I'm following in line with everything you're doing. Your leadership's awesome. Your, your care for me is genuine. But listen, the minute that that's not the case, it's like, man, I, I hate going to work. I can't, I can't follow this guy. I can't submit to this guy. No, you can. You actually can. And when you do, it has an outward adorning. People actually see something different in you. You're not the guy at the water cooler like everybody else that's running the guy down the road. First Peter chapter 2 tells us verses 18 and 19, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, and those are the ones we like, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God, and that's the key, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And so we don't obey because we, we have a a good boss or a good employer. By the way, if you're a wife, you don't submit yourself to your husband because you have a good husband. Children, you don't obey your parents because you have parents that meet your standard as a parent. You obey because God said so. 
You okay? You obey because ultimately you're submissive to Christ. And, and, and listen, when our master in heaven deems it a requirement and necessary, the circumstances of whether or not we, we can do that in this system are irrelevant. The circumstances don't matter at all. The truth is, later in that passage in 1 Peter, God tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 that Christ suffered. He, he, he actually left us an example. He suffered wrongly, under wrong authority, wrong leadership, and, and we're going to follow in his footsteps. We're going to follow in his footsteps. And so the Bible tells us, look, we, we're as servants, let's get rolling here, we're, we're to obey in all things. And God puts in that passage, not with eye service, not with eye service. And you've got to ask, man, what, is it, what does that mean? In other words, we don't just submit to be seen of men. When the, when the employer is looking, when the boss is looking, you know, look, when he walks in, you've got the special key combination on your computer where, you know, you're surfing, you know, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or, you know, Amazon or whatever, and you hit the two keys and then your work pops back up. Okay, you don't, you don't obey. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You don't just obey when, when he's looking. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, it looks like you got the spreadsheet up. Good. Okay, no. When he walks out of the office, keep working. <laughs> he's paying you to work, not to surf. You know, the Pharisees were really interested because they, interesting because a lot of what they did was to be seen outwardly. Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 to 7 says this. These Pharisees, all their works they do for to be seen of who? Men. They make broad their phylacteries. They enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms at the feast, the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the market, and be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. Listen, they do everything they do to be seen of men. And we need to be reminded that God sees us all the time. we got 24-hour surveillance, man. The Holy Spirit of God's in us. It seals us. God's always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We're always in His presence. Listen, we, we have to be mindful of what our heavenly master desires for us. And, and then it uses this phrase in Colossians, not with eye service, but with singleness of heart. In singleness of heart. And that's an interesting phrase when you study in the Bible. In Acts chapter 2, the early disciples in Acts chapter 2, right after the day of Pentecost, uh, you know, shortly after the resurrection, these guys are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And in Acts 2 and verse 46, the Bible says, They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Their heart was focused singly on what God wanted for their life. They were unified in singleness of heart. You see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, the, the parallel passage to Colossians 3 Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. And and I think this is important because this issue of servants being obedient, again, it it doesn't hinge on circumstantial things. Leadership style, organizational structure, benefits package, That's a really good decision because I'm going to go along with it. What it hinges on is our heart. It hinges on our heart, the singleness of our heart. And if our heart is right with Christ and wants to to please Christ, and, and ultimately as we get into the notes, we realize that we're just serving Christ no matter what we do. Listen, out of the heart is going to be the right answer, the right response, the right reaction. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, this shows up a couple of places in the scriptures, but there are some men of double heart, and, and God always says that's a bad thing. We can either have a single heart that's committed to Christ, or we can have a double heart that, man, eh, we, we, we serve the Lord sometimes when it's convenient, but man, this is my job, and it's different because my job is my job, and my Christianity is my Christianity, and those don't mix. That's a false statement, by the way. That's not true. First Chronicles 12, God, God instructs us these, these uh, children of Issachar. It says they were men that had understanding of the times to know that Israel, what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at the commandment of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. I mean, these guys were genuine studs, man. They were soldiers. They were warriors. They were not of double heart. They weren't of double heart. You could say they had singleness of heart. They were focused on the mission. They were focused on understanding. They were focused on walking with God. And to do what God's called us to do, that's what it's going to take. If you go to work tomorrow morning, if you don't position your heart right, you won't be able to walk in faith in these truths. Ultimately, I'm serving Christ. I'm serving Christ. And it comes from the heart, a singleness of heart. And, and then uh, there's so much that we could talk about. He talks about fearing God. You, you serve and obey in singleness of heart and fearing God. And where is that today? And, and by the way, where is that in the church? When did, we, when did we lose the fear of the Lord? When did we, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. Okay, look, he's, he, he's not your buddy. He's not your homeboy. He is God. And listen, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. God tells us even in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, look, when you understand God and his promises, you need to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Man, the fear of God or to motivate the believer in Christ. You say, I don't fear the Lord. <laughs> Maybe you should read the Bible. <laughs> Maybe your walk with Christ is not a biblical walk with Christ. Even, God tells us even about the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. It's a, it's a profitable thing for us as believers in Christ. You don't fear his judgment for your sin because he dealt with that on the cross of Calvary. But listen, he is God. He is God. And he's to be worshipped and reverenced and he is to be obeyed. And feared. And God help us to show up on Monday morning at the place we work with a healthy fear of God in our heart and life. I'm telling you, that day many, many years ago in Decatur, Alabama, God changed my heart and changed my life. And when I showed up to work, I still didn't, you know, I was still not awake before 11 and still needed gallons of coffee to get going. But my heart changed concerning anyone that was my boss, my employer, my company that I worked for. My heart changed in that moment and forever changed. That man, when I show up, God put that guy over this company to be over me, and I fear the Lord. And if he asks for my input, I'm going to give it to him. But whatever he asks me to do, I want to do it. As long as it doesn't violate Scripture, I'm going to do what he asks me to do. And listen, that comes from a healthy fear of the Lord. And then lastly, God tells us to do it heartily. Do it heartily. We, we obey heartily as to the Lord. And, and by the way, that word heartily... The main part of that word is heart, heartily. It's an adverb, how you 
How you obey and how you do what you do, you do it heartily from the heart. Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 7. Again, we've we've kind of looked at these verses. But two times in the parallel passage, God says that singleness of heart, doing the will of God, comes from the... It just comes from the heart. heart. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue for the Christian. If we have a proper fear of the Lord, if we have a proper desire to be obedient to Him, ultimately, our heart will be right with Him, and it will manifest itself in our relationships with our wife, with our husband, with our children, and with our employer. And Christ is the ultimate example. Listen, in Philippians 2, we saw that Christ Himself, who is God, and listen, He made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Himself the form of a servant. So I'm just telling you, there's no boss, there's no system, there's no structure that you will ever experience that Christ himself hasn't experienced. And yet, he did it all without sin. You know, I think, I think, I think back about you know, my journey, my life, my walk with Christ, how God you know, brought me to where I am today and, and where he's got for me in the future. And I always look back at, at different things and you know, when we study the Bible, we talk about ministry leadership a lot at our church, and our desire is to train people for ministry and prayerfully start another church at some point and prayerfully send out missionaries from our church. And, and what's interesting is anytime that conversation about ministry leadership comes up, I always go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, where it talks about that a, that a bishop must have a, a good report of them that are without. In other words, his testimony in the lost world should be that guy is the real deal. Even if, even if those people aren't Christians, they're without Christ. But listen, when they look at his life, they say that guy is different. What's the worst thing you could say about that guy? Well, he's just like Jesus Christ and it gets on my nerves. Man, we'll take that all day long. Shouldn't, shouldn't this issue of submission in the secular world to our bosses, to our employers, to to just any authority in our life, shouldn't that really be a prerequisite for ministry leadership? I mean, shouldn't anybody that actually gets on on the docket to be a deacon, shouldn't we pick up the phone and maybe call his company, call his plant, call his boss and say, tell me what this guy's like at work. Some guy that wants to be a pastor, that wants to be a preacher, that wants to pastor church. I mean, shouldn't he have a good report of them that are Without, well, I, I think he should. He, he ought to have a life that models what Christ-likeness is, not only on Sunday morning, but Monday through Friday and into Saturday. Amen? Listen, we're called, we're called to serve. We're called, and this is what it looks like, man. We're to obey in all things with the right heart attitude. And then let me give you the last point point. we're done. Look, the, the, the cool part about that is at the end of this thing, when we do this, God rewards it. And he doesn't even have to do that. I mean, God just could require it for us, and that would be the end of the conversation. But God actually rewards this type of service, this type of obedience to him, this type of submission to him. And so lastly, we'll look at the prize of servanthood, the prize of servanthood. And we'll pick it up in verse 24, same, same, same chapter. The Bible says this, "...knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance." And remember, verse 23 says we're to obey in all things, not with eye services, men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, okay? 
We're doing everything that we do heartily as unto the Lord, because ultimately we're serving Christ. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. No, you don't understand. I work for this company. You serve the Lord Christ. I work for the government. I'm on the R side. You serve the Lord Christ. I work for this physical therapy company. No, you serve the Lord Christ. And God says that he is going to be the one that rewards us with the reward of the inheritance because ultimately we serve him. We need to know that. Verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the inheritance. Okay, And then he says in verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there's no respect of persons. There's no respect of persons with the Lord. Okay. So it is interesting to me that somehow this obedience to our masters according to the flesh is connected to the judgment seat of Christ somehow, some way. That, that our life lived out there in submission and subordination to, to God's authority in our life through, through management, through employers, that at the judgment seat of Christ, man, it's going to have some impact. It's going to have some, some real repercussions. And God wants us to know that. The Lord himself is going to give us the reward of the inheritance. And, and you know, let's talk about this for just a second. Romans chapter 14 Many of you know this, but if you don't know this, Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, is one of the passages that deal with the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says in verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we are going to give an account. Amen? Listen, we know when this comes biblically. We know where it comes biblically. We know that individually we're going to, I think we were talking about it right before church. We're going to stand and probably not stand, probably be on our face until he says stand. And we're going to give an account of our life. What, what God gave us, what did we do with that? And that will include the job that he gave you and how you handled your masters according to the flesh. And how you handled your proficiency as serving as unto the Lord with whatever it is you're doing. And and, and so from the notes, look, point number one, some will have the opportunity to receive reward. And that's a positive thing. Who doesn't want reward? Listen, when you go to work, you like the reward of being paid for your job, right? If you don't like that reward, we need you to put an application in at Community Fellowship Baptist Church, all right? If you don't like the reward of remuneration, if you just like to just work like a dog for nothing, we're interested. <laughs> we're interested in hiring you. But, but in seriousness, look, we, some people at the judgment seat of Christ are going to receive a reward. And let me just tell you, your pension, your paycheck, your 401k All of that pales in comparison to the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. It pales in comparison when our master in heaven, Christ himself, rewards those who have been faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work. 
of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And listen, again, as a child of God in the workplace, you do your job. The work is the work of the ministry. But, but, it, but it runs parallel with the way that you do your work. In other words, you probably are not going to be a very proficient Christian in evangelism and discipleship and missions without also being a really good employee. Because those things kind of run parallel. And you're probably not going to be a really good employee on your job. And if you're a child of God, you, you ought to carry that over into ministry. You shouldn't be so proficient at your job that there's no time for ministry. No, no every day is, is a day for ministry. That's the point that we're here for. And so, listen, we're not working for the 401K or for the benefit package or, or for the, the bonuses that God's going to give us through an employer. We're working for this reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And how we labor and what we labor will be given an account. And so some people are going to receive a reward. But let me also tell you, listen, secondly, some people will receive for the wrong. Some people will receive for the wrong. And, and, and again, if we go back to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, the Bible says that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And, and again, we, we deal with this all the time in our culture. Look, the, the end goal for Christianity is not just, hey, I made it to heaven. The end goal is Christ's glory, his kingdom glory. Listen, and we know from a proper understanding of Scripture, this judgment seat of Christ has implications in that millennial reign with Christ. If you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. And by default, if you don't suffer with him, you won't reign with him. And the, and the reward of this inheritance of, of Christ's millennial kingdom, listen, it doesn't shake out good for everyone. Nobody's losing their salvation here, but listen, there are privileges for walking with Christ now and being obedient now. It plays out into the millennium, and there will be some people that will receive something at the judgment seat, but, but sadly, it will not be a good thing. It will be for the wrong. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. It is, it is possible to live your Christianity out and at the judgment seat of Christ, years and years and years of, quote, being a Christian, sadly be burned up right in front of, in front of our eyes. You say, man, that's, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Colossians has a couple of passages in it about being beguiled of our reward, being spoiled through philosophy, through vain deceit, through tradition. In other words, Colossians warns us that, listen, because this is the epistle for the Laodicean church, you need to understand that, man, the devil in this world system is against you getting any reward at the judgment seat of Christ. If it can't get your soul, it'll get your works. And God warns us in that book, be careful. Don't be beguiled. Don't let any man spoil you. Don't receive for the wrong. Live in such a way that it matters at the judgment seat of Christ. And then lastly, the truth is, all are going to receive without any respect of person. 
All are going to receive the judgment seat of Christ without any respect of person. Listen, God's not going to show any respect of any person. Well, I was the CEO of the organization. That's not really going to impress the Lord. Can I just tell you? It's not really going to impress him. Well, I was the shift supervisor. Well, I was the manager. Listen, what's also not going to impress him is, hey, man, I was the lowest man. I was the janitor. And the Lord's going to say, you know, that didn't, I don't have any respect toward that either. The issue is not the position. It's not the responsibility. The issue is our heart. We can serve the Lord as a janitor and be right in the center of his will. We can serve him faithfully. We can, we can do everything God's called us to do right in that position. We can serve the Lord as a CEO and fulfill everything God intends for us. And listen, we can serve anywhere in between. We can serve anywhere in between. God's called us to be obedient. So listen, servants, we're to obey. And all of us need to do inventory in our heart and life and say, okay, who are the masters according to the flesh that I have? Who's my boss? Who's my direct report? Who's my CEO? Who's my company? Do I, do I serve out of obedience from the heart? Or do I serve to get what I want to get? You know, when, when you really nail that issue of the heart down, man, our heart's so deceitful. It's wicked. <laughs> we can't discern our own thoughts and intents. That's why the Word of God has to, to cut through and discern them for us. You can serve faithfully as an employer just to get what you want to get out of the company, out of life. That's not serving Christ. That's not serving Christ. Now, I'm not saying you don't rejoice in the reward. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, I'm going to do what I do because of Christ. I'm going to do what I do because of Christ. And then secondly, let's take the the 30,000-foot view. Just like the Apostle Paul, we're all called to serve Christ. Amen? Listen, we had a debt that couldn't be paid. We accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've done that, listen, that makes us servants individually of Christ. Do we understand and obey Him with that same fervor? Do we obey Him with that same fervor? Are we really His servant? And when we stand to give an account, will He be able to look at us individually and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's what I gave you. And you just trusted me with it, and you used it for my glory and for my kingdom purposes. And, and maybe I didn't give you as much as that guy, but it didn't matter because you just walked in faith and you just trusted me and you pleased me with your life. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. It doesn't matter in the circumstances. I just want to please him. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you.